0: found so much incredible hope in the gospel during suffering. And I think one thing that I cling to, especially in the topic of disability, but in any sorrow or grief is the realities of heaven and knowing that heaven is a real place and we are headed there. And that should just send shivers down your spine because it's so exciting to think about what awaits us. And something that is so incredible about what God does for us is that he gives us new bodies. He renews our bodies to be whole and there are no more tears, no more crying, no more pain.
1: Hey All Things listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today for our 124th episode. You guys have been so faithful to listen in and participate in these important conversations for over four years now. This is my last episode of the 2023 spring season. I will be taking the summer off to focus on my kids and my local church family, plus seminary and some other projects I have going on. But I will be back when school is back in session with another season full of good stuff. I am already lining up an excellent list of topics and people to help me think deeply. I'm going after topics that you guys have emailed me or messaged me about, so it promises to be a great season. So don't go anywhere. Stay subscribed to All Things wherever you get your podcasts, and you will be the first to know when new episodes are dropped. Check out my YouTube channel as well. So also over the summer, I will be posting past episodes on the all things Instagram account. Make sure you follow us over there so you can continue to get great cultural analysis all summer long. Stay tuned for this episode where Laura Wiffler and I talk about how we're doing as a culture and as a church when it comes to people with disabilities. It's a super thought-provoking conversation. Happy summer, you guys. Leave us a rating and a review so that new listeners can find us, and I will see you in a couple months. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His word to what's happening here and now. To today's episode of All Things. I am so glad you're here. Today I am joined by my friend, my sister in Christ, my co-laborer in the gospel, Laura Wiffler. You probably recognize that name, but let me introduce you a little bit to her. She is the co-founder of Risen Motherhood and also the executive director and co-host of the Risen Motherhood Podcast, also the co-author of Risen Motherhood, which is probably how you know that name. Um, But she is not only known for Risen Motherhood, she has written some other books as well. And the one that we're going to focus in on today is called Like Me, a story about disability and discovering God's image in every person. And she also wrote an ebook. We'll probably touch on that, but it's for the moms, uh, moms who are in a situation like her called To the Cross I Cling. So, Laura, there's so much we could say. Thank you for joining us on all things. I'm so glad you're here.
0: Oh, my goodness. It's my pleasure. I'm super happy to have a chat today.
1: So, what did I miss in that introduction? You have a husband, you have three kids, you live in Iowa. <laughs> Yeah. Any other fun things that we could mention about you right here at the get-go? Mm. No,
0: well, those are some those are some good ones. Husband, kids. Um, my kids are five to ten, and I. What else can we talk about? I mean, I love a good blazer. That's kind of what I'm just. <laughs> yes. I'm, I just saw myself in the thing and thought, oh, I see, I'm wearing a blazer, and that's, that looks yes. good.
1: <laughs> okay, where where are you shopping for your blazers these days? Because I too love a good blazer.
0: I know they just, they hide it all. Right. And they just make you feel put together and they elevate and they're so comfortable. So here I am. I will get everyone to get a blazer. Um, mm-hmm. I have a couple of target blazers, to be honest, that yes. have been okay. awesome mm-hmm. that uh, look for like oversized in the titling or the, however they label your blazer. And then I love a good made well blazer. I mean, always mm. those forever and always work, but you have to wait till they're on yes. sale because they will cost you a pretty penny.
1: Yeah, totally. I was blazer shopping a couple of weeks ago and found a good one at Nordstrom Rack. So Ooh, if you can good. wait for it to go from Nordstrom to the rack, that also yes. makes them a lot more yep. affordable. That's yes. Awesome. my One of my um, daughters said that I'm in my blazer era, like a you know, Taylor Swift era. This is my blazer yes. era.
0: <laughs> I am with you in that. Let's be in that era together. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Perfect. We're there. <laughs> well, um, Laura, March was National Disability Awareness Month. And so that was great timing for your book that came out called Like Me. Why don't you start us off by telling us why you wrote this book? What is your personal story with disability?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So about five years ago, um, my youngest daughter, Eden was diagnosed with what's called rare chromo and rare chromo is a blanket term that doctors use to describe anyone who has a very rare genetic disease. So my daughter's, um, genetic disease is entirely unique. As far as doctors know, there's no one else in the world with exactly what she has, which, yeah, which meant, um, that they didn't really have a path for her. They didn't weren't really able to tell us much of anything, but they did say, Hey, we can look at some similar cases, some some kiddos and some adults that have kind of something similar and we can make some guesses. So at the Mm -hmm. time they told us, you should probably expect her to never walk and probably to never talk. You know, that's Mm -hmm. what we're seeing with other people who are similar to this. Um, and you know, we were given about five pages of, things that they wanted us to do preventative checks for and to look for things like missing liver um, you know just just all sorts of different okay. diagnoses that could occur so it set us on a path of a lot of high healthcare needs as well as just discovering what her disability would really be and how it would play out so the whole therapy world was open to us and the whole government program and medicaid and all that kind of stuff it was like a full-time job was handed yeah. to me in that moment yeah. and Over the years, it has been incredible to watch our daughter just grow and change and become who she is. I always feel like we've just been on this path to discovering her and seeing what she's going to be like and what she's capable of. And it's just been so fun. She now walks. I'm so proud to say that. It's so fun and God will be good, even if that wasn't the case, but we're so thankful to be able to celebrate that. And she is starting to talk um, some, you know, if you don't know her well, you may not totally understand her, but I understand her really well. And it's fun to just help her grow in her articulation and processing her thoughts and things. So um, in general, it's just affected her through intellectual disabilities is the main way we've seen things play out for her. So that's, that's a little bit of my story with my daughter. And that did lead me to writing the book, Like Me. I wrote it a couple years ago. You know, book publishing is kind of slow. So um, it was written at the time when my daughter was using a walker and she had little SMOs, little braces on her feet. And what I was noticing as she was forming friendships with kiddos in the neighborhood or families that we would meet were that sometimes children felt like there was a mystery around disabilities. Mm -hmm. And in general, if an adult would just come in and just say something along the lines of, she just thinks a little bit differently than you or it's okay like that's she's just moving a little bit differently um i realized that kids very quickly then would grow in their comfort in talking to a child with disabilities or in playing and engaging and in general when i noticed that how quickly it was that children were like okay like i can play with this child i can engage then there, there were very few questions after that. And of course, as children get older, lots of questions evolve. But one of my heartbeats behind the book with Like Me was to explain what disabilities is and show children how they are a lot like children with disabilities. So you could see the typically developing child could read it and say, oh, there's sameness between us. I see that they want to be included. They want to have friendships. They want to have fun. And that would help a child kind of categorize someone who had a disability to be able to form a relationship with them.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Well, and of course, we'll link the book in the show notes, and we're going to talk a lot more about the book. It is beautiful, Um, and I'm so glad. It's a gift to the reader and to families, but can you take me back again to the day that you were given this diagnosis? Um, The timing of our conversation, personally, is really impactful because I have a dear loved one who received a diagnosis just this morning um, for her child, and so you know I feel that heaviness even as we are talking to one another. And I do feel a bit at a loss. You know, I know some deep, rich, important theological truths that, of course, I can repeat to myself and to her. But um, I would love to know a little bit more about how I might tangibly support her. What are the things that would be beneficial for me to say or to do today, tomorrow, next month, next year?
0: Yeah. Oh, well, first off, I just love your heart for wanting to care for your loved one. And I think some of it is just purely knowing that your friends or family members are just reaching out to you and they desire and long to be there for you. Um, You know, I often share with people that receiving a diagnosis is much like any grief and the things that you would do for say a miscarriage or for um, a, a season of foster care or something like that are the same things that you would do during a season of diagnosis. And Diagnoses can be like it was for us, a single moment where suddenly your world is turned upside down in yeah. one hour, but other times it can be a really long road and a long journey. And, and either way, even if you receive a diagnosis immediately, there are still many, many questions and many, many time commitments to sort through. And so, and you know, the basic bring them a meal. I think a lot of times people don't think about disabilities and equating that with, hey, let's let's start a meal train for that mom. I think that is a really low-hanging fruit we can do. Yeah. Um, a second thing I think we can do is ask them how we can pray for them. Ask them, hey, how are you feeling about the diagnosis right now? How is your heart? Mm-hmm. Um you know, can I help you with any therapies or can I help you with any medical things that are needed? I know that I have been so helped by friends who have said, I want to learn how to put on your daughter's braces. I just want, cause you know, there's a way to do that and you don't want to mess it up. And I was so thankful when they came over and said, train me to do this so that I can help your daughter put on her shoes. And there's mm. something about your friends and your family engaging in and saying, what are the therapies that they're working on? Can I help you? Can I help you massage their mouths? Can I brush their feet for sensory training? Can I put them in this swing and help them with different things? And there are just so many things that that parent is probably going through of learning with therapies and you showing an interest and saying, I want to learn how to offer therapy. It's just a great relief to that parent. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I would say that, the last thing that I think has been really helpful for me, I mean, there are so many that could go on and on, but one thing that my friends were so good to me was reminding me not to grieve the things that I didn't need to grieve yet.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
0: I think when we receive a diagnosis very quickly, your heart goes to the very worst and you go to when they're, you know, twenty, twenty-five, and what life might look like then. And it can feel very overwhelming and very hard, but yet that's not our reality and so my friends were so good to not give me false hope, but to remind me that, hey, we don't know right now. The whole world is ahead of us and we're going to be with you the whole way. And I was so helped by them of reminding me that you don't know that she won't walk yet. We we don't know if she will, but like, let's not grieve that yet. Let's enjoy who she is today. And so by them helping me, I think, keep perspective on my grief, it kept me from going so far into the abyss. I mean, there still is that moment as, as a mom, you're going to go there. But, um, I was so thankful for the hands of my friends as they reminded me of truth. And they reminded me that this is the reality that we're looking at today. And no matter what we're with you, we're beside you. We're going to have a great life. I needed that reminder, especially in diagnosis.
1: Yeah. Wow. Well, you, you answered my second question already because (laughs) I wanted to ask you, you know, how do we think about this in light of the future, in light of a decade from now, two decades from now? And am I hearing you say that you sort of have to discipline your thought life? Do you what do you like actually practically do yeah. to help yourself walk in the moment?
0: Yeah. This is this is a good question. So I do think there is an element, of course, of disciplining our mind, a huge mm-hmm. element of that of saying, no, I'm not gonna go there right now. I'm not gonna grieve things that aren't true. I'm not going to um, live in fear. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own and reminding yourself of that truth. And I think when I think about the future and, you know, it was very hard at the very beginning feeling like, okay, so this means I'm likely never going to be an empty nester. That was something that was hard for me a feeling like those years that Mm -hmm. you know, I hadn't really been looking forward to, but suddenly was, um, Mm -hmm. that, that those were taken away from me and that I wouldn't be a traditional parent. And a lot of that comes because I think what happens is we're filled with a lot of self pity and Mm -hmm. we also feel pity for our child pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And Not everyone does, but that can be a really natural response is to feel this pity towards the person who has received the diagnosis and the parent can feel that for themselves of the loss of their dreams. And what I have realized over time is that pity isn't the right response to disability. The gospel tells us that the response to disability is compassion with dignity. And so we can think about that with our child and we can think about that even towards our future of knowing that it's not going to look like what I thought it was going to look like, but knowing that God doesn't, God doesn't do things without intention And without our best interest in mind and knowing that there is a greater good at play. And so for me, I had to remind myself that God is as good as he was yesterday before diagnosis. That's the same God that is serving me today. And that's the same God that is for me when I'm going to be 55, 65, Mm -hmm. 70, whatever it might be. And that has been a big comfort. And just laying down what we believe a good life is. You know, we so often believe a good life is um is great success and it's freedom and it's us being able to do what we want when we want to do it and realizing that's not the call of the gospel at all and god calls us to a far better path and if this is what he's going to use to get us there well goodness i want to be i want to be in on that plan
1: mm-hmm. yeah oh gosh i love where you just took this conversation that we have to redefine what is a good life um there are so many messages coming at us through social media or movies or music, and frankly, our own flesh, where we have envisioned what the good life is. And it's in so many things in American culture, right? Like I could spend an hour just making a list of where we think the good life is found. But as it pertains to what we're talking about, I think that we definitely have a frame of mind in America and in the wealthy West, that the good life includes productivity or ability or capability, you know, like, how often do parents say about their kids? Like, I just want them to be happy. I just want them to be productive. I just want them to be productive members of society, right? Like we have disdain yeah. for people that we deem not productive members of society, whatever that means, yeah. fill in your, your definition, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about that because I know that this book has gained traction, in the national arena like in secular spaces you clearly are a believing author this is a christian book that points back to our god but you've struck a chord in secular spaces on a national level what's going on what's the conversation happening outside of our little christian bubble why why is it gaining traction
0: yeah well my first answer is just the hand of god right right <laughs> i mean yes. but but yes i know i was i was shocked and stunned at some of the response that has happened where people have been so receptive to it and i think that there is so when it comes to disabilities our culture tends to look at a life in the womb with a potential disability as not worthy and yeah. not worth it And we see this through the mass abortion of disabled children. It's something like it's, it's hard for the statistic for them to get it because disabilities is such a range, but it's anywhere from 40 to 80% of children with disabilities are now being aborted, just automatically. Right. And that just, I mean, that just could just put me in a puddle of tears, right? This moment, as I think about Mm -hmm. it, thinking Mm -hmm. that if I had thought that and I wouldn't have my little girl, but yeah, what happens, I think, when culture, when when someone does have a child with disabilities, sometimes I think there can be a, a trans, transfer of the way we think about them to them being like they have special access to knowledge or they have special abilities or they, even Christians can kind of say, well, they are going to know God, you know, in this particular special way. And I think that that is um, something that's just an interesting thing that the world does where there's a a huge celebration at times of someone with disabilities, and not necessarily because they're productive, um, but because I think people can feel productive around them. They can feel Mm. like they're a savior. They can feel like they um, are kind. They are nice, (laughs) to use culture's term. And... So I think what happens is it can kind of just feel like I'm going to do a good deed. I'm going to be moral and I'm going to spend time with these people who, and I think there's something there that might even say they don't deserve it, but I want to be kind. And that is also just a a gross manipulation of what reality is.
1: Yeah. And you're just blowing my mind right now, by the way, (laughs) I had not thought of this angle of this sort of like exploitive nature. Yes. That's a good, that's a good word. This community, this population. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, This is blowing my mind. Okay. Sorry to interrupt (laughs) you, but like, I have not ever thought about how it can be exploitive.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think seeing the side that really celebrates children with disabilities has been hard for me to, um, to have juxtaposed next to the mass abortion of those with disabilities. And I have not Mm. been able to figure out why does this, why does this not add up? And so with that, I think, um, culture does have an idea of acceptance right now, right? That is really a popular, a strong thing that we accept and we celebrate differences. But what also can pain me with culture is that there is a a conversation about differences that at some level is good. I think, especially in the church, it's really, really good and really important, but there's also a conversation that needs to be occurring about sameness and that is where I think, like me, the book has somewhat struck a chord for people mm-hmm. that perhaps they've never thought about it in this way, that two people can be completely and totally different. And they don't become friends because of their differences. They become friends because of their sameness. Mm-hmm. They might have a, you know, the same taste in food. They might like to, they might both like blazers, you know, they might <laughs> like to shop at the same place, have a mom who told similar jokes, whatever that is. And I think there's something really beautiful there for, for even culture to pick up on to say, oh, okay, we can we can create friendship here through sameness. And I think that is just an incredible thing because as Christians, we know that we don't have to look for unity over blazers. We don't have to look for unity over the food we eat. We know that we already have it in Christ. And that right. means that we don't have to search for it. We have a, the stamp of God is on each of us. And I think there is a calling to one, to one another that our hearts do to say, oh, that's another human being. It's a privilege to know them. I want to know them. Mm-hmm. And I think as believers, we have to honor that. And we mm-hmm. sense it somewhere deep down because we have the Holy Spirit working in us, but I think we can often also ignore it. So sorry, I kind of transitioned topics there at the end on you, but no, that was something fabulous. in there.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, it's fabulous. I feel like what I... Now, let me just sort of restate it and you can kind yes. of correct me or nuance it a little bit. I feel like what I hear you saying that I haven't really given thought to before is that it is important for us to acknowledge our differences. Yeah. It is important to just state them, embrace them, yeah. sometimes celebrate them. Differences are, are good. And to pretend like they don't exist or to snuff out a life because that life will be different in some way is, is evil. But what I hear you saying is that can also go awry, that celebration of difference or that focus on difference. And and then we can somehow, I don't know, turn it back on ourselves or exploit it or use it. Um and then we're just maintaining that alienation of the community or the person that's different.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we come in as the savior. You know, we yes, come in, in as benevolent and the ones that are going to bestow our presence upon mm-hmm. somebody who kind of doesn't deserve it. That, I mean, that deep down Mm -hmm. it's gross. And, Mm -hmm. but Jen, I'll be honest and say, I have thought that before, like, oh, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go spend time with this person who can't necessarily gain me social status. They're not going to, I'm not going to go over there and like have the time of my life in this moment. And, and that is a sin nature coming in and saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this, you know, because it's, it's the right thing to do. It's the nice thing to do. Other people are going to see it and they're going to be like, wow, yeah. that person really lays down their life. Yeah. And, and so all of us are yeah. at risk for that. Totally. Absolutely. I mean,
1: you're yeah. right. And, and, my, and myself as well. We have to be honest and say yeah. we all participate in this behavior at some time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love that. I love your urging to transition that and go, no, not only are we different, but we're also the same. And that is the Imago Dei, the image of God in each of us, the dignity that is present in each life. Mm-hmm. So, as a parent, and obviously this book is part of it, you know, how do you do that with a child? How do you acknowledge difference, promote compassion, acceptance, a broad hospitality, a big table, yeah. um, without letting it go awry? And then also, <laughs> you know, promoting um, the fa- the fact that we're the same. That this is, you know, God is good, and this is His creation. This is how He's made each one of us we all have the Imago Day. There's so much we have in common. Mm -hmm. What does that look like on the everyday for, for parents?
0: Yeah. It's a a great question. And I think, you know, first and foremost, it is establishing foundational understanding of Amago Day. You know, we're throwing that word around, but that is really important for parents to understand and children to understand. Mm-hmm. And there's so much that's loaded in that statement that we're made in the image of God, that we have a royal status that's been imp- given to us. And that status isn't based on ability. It's not based on resumes, trophies, how funny you are, how popular you are, all of those things. And that takes years to kind of get out of our natural, uh, way of thinking where you're kind of consistently going back to your kiddo and saying, where are you finding your identity right now? You know, what, what, um, what kind of ways are you finding your value and do you, or why are you deciding that person has dignity and you're not treating that person with dignity? The way that you're speaking to your sibling isn't Mm -hmm. treating them as if they're a Mago day. So it's little things Where, yeah, you're doing some formal teaching, I hope, but you're also showing them in real time how maybe they're not imaging God or how they're not treating someone else as an image bearer. And then I think there's also this element that we can show our children what it looks like to be totally and completely and utterly enamored with God and Mm -hmm. that he has made us that that we are fully satisfied with how he has made us. And I think when we show our children what that looks like through the way that we talk, through the way that we act, the people we spend time with ourselves, I think our children will see too, they will realize, Hey, I'm operating out of a place of being completely and totally and utterly loved by my parents. And we're imaging God. We're showing our children that. And I just think, man, what a world we would live in if every kid knew they were totally and utterly loved. That is so freeing. Mm. That's that's the kid that goes to school and says, it doesn't matter that I'm not popular. I'm going to go sit with this kid that is alone at the table. You know, yeah. It doesn't matter that I'm not first on varsity. I'm going to go and, and spend some time here with somebody who does have a disability. I'm going to volunteer in the special education room, whatever that might be. But when we are raising children to really know who they are in Christ and showing them, I think, a model of what it looks like as a parent to say, Oh, I love you despite what you just did. There's nothing on this planet that can give me more love for you or less love than you. Like when we start talking to our children like that, giving them a safe space, we show them how God loves us. And I think that that would do wonders for children because so often they're under our thumb and our pressure of needing to perform and needing to you know, meet a certain standard because what we want to look good. We, mm-hmm. It usually comes back to reflect me as a parent. I want to look as a parent. I found myself doing that all the time. Yeah. And and so I think that that takes consistency in parenting. It takes gut checks. It takes community and friends around you who want the same thing and say, remind me. Remind me of what kind of parent I want to be before God. And tell me when I'm not doing that. and Or talk to my child. Show them because maybe they'll listen to you. And it, it takes years and years and so much work and effort. And I'm not even there, Jen. You're further along than me for sure. But I do think that we could really change the next generation if we begin to embody those things.
1: Oh, that is so, so good. I so appreciate what you're saying. And I and I agree wholeheartedly. It's a, it's a daily investment. And it starts with reminding ourselves and rehearsing the truth to ourselves where our identity is found. Because as you said, I can find my identity in my own productivity, my own abilities about 25 times a day. Yeah. <laughs> and so I have to repent from that. And as you said also, remind myself that there's nothing I can do that will cause the Lord to love me more or right. less. Mm-hmm. And so as I rehearse that struggle to my kids and pray the same and say the same things to them, you know, I mean that's a habit we have have in our household as is- praying every morning with the girls and saying, you know, and it's on the way to school, like, please don't picture my family sitting around a four course (laughs) breakfast, you know, all put together because that is not what's going on in my house is we run out the door kind of screaming at each other. And then we get in the car (laughs) and it's like, okay, it's quiet. We have a five minute drive and I'm going to pray. We do the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. It's just nuts. So I like, I don't want anybody to have the wrong picture of the Ashman family, but in that drive, I pray for all of us and ask the Lord to remind us that we're secure in him. And it doesn't matter what we bring to the table today that. that we're secure in him and that yeah. nothing can snatch us out of his hands. Yes. So Amen. I love what you've said. And that is just nourishing. Mm-hmm. Um, Laura, I do have one what feels like a bit more of a superficial question to ask you, but I noticed that you kind of went there online a couple of days ago. And I think it's really helpful. Um, special needs or disabled or with okay. disabilities or what, how do we, how do we say this? Yes.
0: Yep. I'm, I, I'm glad we're talking about it because we just need to start talking about it. And, you know, my short answer is start with the word disabled and then mirror the language of the person or parent that you're talking to. So that is like the short answer, but to unpack this just a teensy, would be that typically I think parents who have children with disabilities tend to say special needs. That's the language doctors often use. That's the language therapists often use. That's what you kind of hear. It feels tender and sweet and soft to that child. Not everyone's going to agree with me right now, so just know that. But in general, that's kind of what I hear in some of the advocacy work I do. But I would say adults who have disabilities will almost unanimously ask for the term disability to be used. And the reason Mm. for that is because the term disability, first of all, is actually a euphemism for disability. It was coined in about the 1960s when um, people were trying to find a softer way of saying disability. It's it's like saying, well, oh, they passed away instead of saying they died, right? You're just trying to like be a little more tender. And so it came from a place of basically saying like, oh, disability is a, is a bad thing. You should be kind of ashamed Ooh. of that. Let's use a softer word. And I admit there is some maybe reclaiming of that term within the disabled community to say, Nope, this is a part of our lives. We're not ashamed of it. We're going to walk forward with this word. And then also I think that special needs can feel really infantizing for people, Mm. especially adults. Like I said, it's typically parents who want to use it with their child, which is great. They can, they can pick the word. I am not the language police, but, um, we we've seen that a lot of times it can just feel very childish for an adult, even try saying it about an adult. And you might find yourself being like, yeah, that's not the right word. So (laughs) that's my suggestion. Use disabilities until somebody says, Hey, I prefer differently abled. I prefer, you know, whatever that might be. Um, Mm -hmm. Just mirror them after that. So
1: Laura, this has been so helpful. As I said, you've kind of blown my mind with some of the things (laughs) that we've talked about things I haven't considered before. So thank you so much. Would you just leave us with a um, closing thought? So, so leave us with some gospel hope, gospel perspective, kind of wrap this episode up, um, helping us to lift our eyes up to our God who is good and sovereign, even in the midst of hard things. Yeah, Yeah. you know,
0: I have just um, found
1: so much
0: incredible hope in the gospel during suffering. And I think one thing that I cling to especially in the topic of disability, but in any sorrow or grief, is the realities of heaven and knowing that heaven is a real place and we are headed there. And that should just send shivers down your spine because it's so exciting to think about what awaits us. And something that is so incredible about what God does for us is that He gives us new bodies. He renews our bodies to be whole and there are no more tears, no more crying, no more pain. I just think about all of people with chronic pain or with disabilities or with mental health issues and all the suffering that we all are walking through these days and how there will be a day where that will be a distant memory and i just cannot wait until someday i think about my daughter and i just dancing on the shores of heaven meeting jesus and you know when you start to think about eternity and You know, I think all of us have had that moment where we're like, well, how long is eternity? You know, we're kind of trying to put our minds around it, which we can't. We're not meant to. But I think about the gravity and the length of eternity that I get to enjoy someday in the good world that awaits me. And then I think about the next 20, 40, maybe 60 years I have left on this earth. And I think that is tiny. Mm -hmm. I can do it. I can go one more day of being sanctified. I can go one more day in this hardship if it means I get to meet my Savior at the end and I am more prepared for Him. Every single day that I exist on this earth, I am readying myself to meet my Savior. And that is just something that I think really keeps me going Mm -hmm. and reminds me that there is an end to the pain, there's an end to the sorrow, and it ends with the absolute greatest gift that any of us can imagine and that it's going to last forever. I mean, what a hope. What a hope for us to cling to. Oh
1: man, thank you. I am so glad that you wrapped it up that way. Um, that is just giving me a ton of hope and encouragement. Yes, heaven awaits. Laura Wiffler, thank you so much for being on All Things today. And I want to encourage everybody to check out the show notes. Go to the link, find this book like me. Grab a few copies for yourself, for your family, and the families around you. Let's be good citizens of this earth and spread the message that this book shares. Thanks so much, everybody. Take care. Hey, thanks so much for listening to All Things, where we look at current events and cultural trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. So we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now.